Uh, our message is, uh, what is prayer? What is prayer? And I'm thinking that maybe when some people hear that topic, they won't even come to church because it's a topic that may seem boring. Some that maybe don't really have a life of prayer or maybe they've not had prayers answered and have come to the belief that, well, you know, God doesn't answer prayer because I've, I've prayed for things and it, it's never happened. We read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says that then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's the first reference in the Bible where men prayed. Today's message, like I said, is what is prayer? And hopefully we'll learn from it. And maybe you'll learn some things you didn't know and you'll stop believing some things that you think are true. A traveler in China, a traveler in China visited a heathen temple on a great feast day. And there were a lot of worshipers of the hideous idol that was enclosed in a sacred shrine. The visitor noticed that most of the devotees brought with them small pieces of paper on which prayers had been written or printed. Then they'd wrap them up in little balls of mud. And then they'd throw those little balls of mud at the idol. And the visitor asked, well, what's the reason for this strange proceeding? And he was told, well, if the mud ball stuck fast to the idol, then the prayer would surely be answered. But if the mud ball fell off, the prayer was rejected by the God. Now, we might shake our head you know, in laughter, or we might giggle. That's such a weird way of finding out whether or not our prayers will be answered. But it's probably true that most Christian men and women who pray to a living God know very little about real prevailing prayer. And yet prayer is the key that unlocks the door of God's treasure house. Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest, I'm sorry, man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes to fa- uh, face to face with God. Oswald Chambers wrote, No spiritual exercise is such a blending of complexity and simplicity. It is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can cry, yet the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. It is, an appropri- it is appropri- as appropriate to the aged philosopher as to the little child. It is the ejaculation of a moment and the attitude of a lifetime. It is the expression of the rest of faith and of the fight of faith. It is an agony and an ecstasy. It is submissive and yet importunate. In the one moment, it lays hold of God and binds the devil. It can be focused on a single objective and it can roam the world. It can be abject confession and rapt adoration. It, in, uh, it invests puny man with a sort of omnipotence. William Evans, in his book, Why Pray? He said, to every human being, prayer is a pr- primary instinct. The most natural, instinctive, intuitive, and inherent exercise in which every creature made in the image and likeness of God engages in prayer. Man takes to prayer as the fish to the water. And as the bird to the air, prayer is man's native element. Wherever you find men, they pray. They may petition sun or moon, stone or tree, man or beast, deity or demon. Nevertheless, they bow the knee and they pray. They may pray in ignorance, needing instruction. They may petition foolishly, needing enlightenment, but they pray. They may ignorantly worship, as Paul declared concerning the Athenians, yet they worship They bow the knee in heart. They pray to something, to somebody, somewhere. That to which men bow the knee may be a fetish, a totem pole, or the true God, yet they pray. Man has been defined as a praying animal. Strange is it not, if there to be no reality in prayer, that ever since creation men have engaged in it and untold millions have testified to its efficacy. The difficulties, if there be any connected with our prayer life, must be with and in ourself. In Isaiah fifty nine sixteen, 
It says, he, speaking of God, God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Think about that. Here's the almighty God, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, all the time. The living God saw there was no man and he wondered that there was no no intercessor. That's a very strange thought, and it should catch the attention of every Christian, and it should make you think. Think about it. A wondering God. The word wondering means flabbergasted, bewildered, dumbfounded, shocked. God was dumbfounded. He was shocked. He, He was flabbergasted that he found no one to pray. And if we're not willing to think about this, we're liable to miss something so important and something so necessary to our spiritual life, our spiritual battles. God wondered, why is there no one to pray? Why is there no intercessor? God's wonder must be even greater today now that we have the promise of the Father in Christ and the Helper and the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who Paul said helps us in our infirmities and makes intercession for us in Romans eight twenty six. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 21 and 22, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, and you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and it, be cast, and it will be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. John 16, 23, most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give to you, Jesus said. Think about that. This being true, these wonderful promises of answered prayer, this being true, Why don't we pray more? Why aren't our prayer meetings? When I say are, I don't mean just here. Churches everywhere, because I've been in a lot of churches. Prayer meetings are the least attended function in the church. And yet the most needed. Why are prayer meetings not packed out? Why aren't times of prayer longer? Why aren't our prayer time in the closet longer and more frequent? And again, God must be beside himself wondering why. Why won't my people meet with me? Why won't they talk with me? Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, God said, call to me and I will answer you. It's as if God is pleading. Call to me, I will answer you. He says, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In other words, God is saying, hey, I'm basically giving you a blank check of prayer why are there so few of my people he says who know what prayer or effective prayer really is now everybody everyone in in here who's a believer would admit that we believe in prayer and yet how many really believe in the power of prayer dean vaughn said this If I wish to humble anyone, I should ask him about his prayers. I know nothing to compare with this topic for his sorrowful self-confessions. Then I did this a long time ago, and I said, I'm going to do something here tonight or this morning. I said, I'm going to go row by row. It's going to take a while. I'm going to ask each one of you to stand up and tell everybody how long you prayed today and this, this week. How much time you spent in prayer this week? Oh, you should have seen people wiggle and squirm. I couldn't ask him that because I'd have to say it myself and I wouldn't have been very proud either. Ask yourself, how much time did I spend in prayer this week? Why are many Christians so defeated in their Christian life? Why are so many of Christ's servants often discouraged and downcast? Why do we see so little fruit from our ministries? Why aren't our churches full? Why aren't they on fire for God? Why aren't our lives more powerful and impacting in our marriages, in our family, and with our children? Because we pray so little. And yet Jesus is as powerful today as he was in the Gospels. Have we stopped believing 
in prayer? Or do you believe that, that what you ask for is so incredibly impossible it would never happen? Because I know one point in my life, I believe that. But how wrong God proved me. We have a prayer meeting here, you know, every, before every study, Wednesday, Sunday, Sunday evening. We have one for the whole body, on, uh, for us, all of them for the whole body, but one specifically on Tuesday night. And most of the church has never been there. Now, this isn't meant to criticize. This isn't meant to condemn. It's meant to get us to think about prayer. It's meant to stir us up to take hold of God like never before. When we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus said, when you pray? That's a, that was a command. He didn't say, hey guys, I really like you to pray and I suggest you pray. He said, when you pray, because Jesus, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, uh, taken for granted that his disciples would pray. He believed they prayed. So he said, when you pray, that's a command. And when we don't obey the commands, that's sin. He said, we've, we've been commanded to do, we've been commanded to go, and we've been commanded to pray. Are we obeying him? in everything that God commands us to do? Or are we picking and choosing the things that we like to do? As Christians, we need to wake up. The devil is blinding our eyes. He is trying to stop us from facing this question about prayer this morning. And we need to understand that there's nothing that the devil hates and dreads more than a believer who prays. Because that's where he gets his power. One of Satan's greatest goals is to keep you from praying. He loves to keep us up to our eyeballs in work. He loves to keep us busy. And remember, busy is an acronym for, for um, what is it used for? <laughs> Being under, thank you, somebody listened. Being under Satan's yoke. Being under, if he can keep us so busy that we can't pray, he loves that. He loves it. He doesn't fear us because we're excited about God. He doesn't fear us because we go to church. He doesn't fear us because we like to read the Bible. He doesn't fear us because we like to study the Bible as long as we're not praying. He loves for us to go to church as long as we're not praying. Somebody hit the nail on the head. When they said this, Satan laughs at our hard work, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And here's the sad thing. We all know this, but do we really pray? If we don't pray, we need to know. Failure and defeat is at your doorstep, nipping at your heels. And it's just a matter of time before failure and defeat catches up to you and takes you out. So what exactly is prayer? Well, D.L. Moody, the great preacher, once addressing a crowded uh, meeting of children to get their attention, he started out with a question for the kids. He says, what is prayer? And he really didn't expect any of the children to answer. And he thought he'd have to answer the question himself. But he is surprised. He saw a bunch of little hands waving up all over the hall. And so he asked one little boy, Young man, give an answer to what is prayer. The little boy said right away, clearly, he said, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. <laughs> How many of us, if asked that question, would answer like that? How many children, much less adults, could give a definition of prayer? What does the average believer mean by prayer? Probably a lot of Christians would say, well, to ask God for things, and, which is partially true. But prayer is so much more than that. It's not just asking God to answer our requests as if he was some kind of heavenly genie. The word prayer really means a wish directed towards you know when in your life as from the time you could start you know thinking and 
how many times you, you made a wish? That's prayer. See, we've got that desire to pray within us. You think, oh, I wish, you know, and I wish that. That's a prayer. We have this innate desire to pray because, again, God created us. And the Bible says he created us with eternity in, in our hearts. And there's only one that's eternal, and that's God. So, again, it, it, it's, it's a prayer is a wish directed towards. Now, towards what? That's, up to, uh, you know, everybody's different. But for the believer, it should be a, 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 a wish that's directed towards God. So you see, prayer is a wish that's directed towards God. Everything, every true prayer seeks God himself. Every true prayer is a seeking of God himself. See, God has everything that we need. Prayer is simply turning the soul to God. The psalmist uh, said in, Proverbs, in Psalms 25, 1, he said, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's the way David described it. It's lifting up the living soul to the living God. And when we lift up our souls in prayer to God, it gives us a chance to do what he wills to do in us and with us. It's putting ourselves at God's disposal. Here I am, God. What do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? God is always on our side. And when a person prays, it's God's chance to move. So prayer is definitely not trying to persuade God to do what he wants, what we want him to do. It's not trying to change God's will to give in to our will. It doesn't change his purpose, even though it may release his power. Richard Trent said this, prayer isn't overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying a hold of his willingness. We shouldn't think of prayer as defeating God's unwillingness. Prayer isn't thinking, yeah, I broke down God's will and I got my way. No. Prayer is receiving his highest willingness because God always wants what's best for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, God said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Even if we offer a prayer in ignorance and blindness, it doesn't cause God to change his will. But if we... I mean, even if we persistently pray for something that's harmful for us, our stubbornness might bring it about. God might just allow that to happen. And I think one of the worst things that could happen to a believer is for God to give them their way. Even if we persistently pray for something that's harmful for us, our stubbornness might bring it about, but we will suffer the consequences for it. In other words, we keep praying for something and praying for something and praying for something. It's not good. God says, okay, you want it? I'll give it to you. You don't want to listen to me? Here it is. In Proverbs 13, on Proverbs 1, 30 through 31, it says, They would have none of my counsel, God says, and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. God says, okay, you know what? You didn't want to listen to my counsel. You rebuked me. You didn't want anything. He says, all right, I'll let you have it. I'll let you eat to your heart's content. And how many times have we gotten something that we thought we wanted and didn't want it and just and didn't like it? We see that in Psalm 106, 15. It says, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They brought leanness upon themselves, the children of Israel. Remember when they were in the wilderness? They were so intent on getting the food that they wanted and the water that they wanted that they became blind to what God wanted for them. The children of Israel complained about not having any meat. Complain, complain, complain. And then God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. Listen to what he said in Numbers eleven eighteen through 20. Tomorrow you shall eat meat because you have wept in the hearing of the Lord and you have been saying, you will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. No, they're saying it was well with us in Egypt. We had it good in Egypt. They had been there 430 years in slavery and, and, and they were asking to be delivered. Moses was sent to deliver. If it was so good, why were they complaining? It's, it's funny how we forget how good, how, how bad the past was. And that's why we came to Christ because he had so much for us. And then we start, oh, it was better in the old days. Fickled people. It says, therefore the Lord will give you meat. And you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nose. 
and until it becomes loathsome till you hate it because you have despised the Lord who, who is among you and you have wept to him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? You see, they were more concerned about quick physical pleasure, about feeding their flesh, satisfying their flesh rather than a, having a lasting spiritual satisfaction. They didn't want what was best for them. And they refused to trust God and, 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 and gathering their bread from heaven. What we pray for and how we pray show what we really know about prayer and prayer's basic purpose. The Bible teaches us that the root of most spiritual problems, the, uh, uh, most, uh, the root of most problems in our life is spiritual. Spiritual problems. Harry Ironside said this, when we pray, do we pray for God to endorse our programs or do we ask that he will reveal his mind to us and give us grace to act accordingly? You see, if you complain long enough, God just might give you what you ask for, even if it's not the best thing for you. If you're not getting what you want, maybe God knows it's not in your best interest. You've got to trust him. Trust in his care and trust in his provision for you. And then to some people, prayer is just used for emergencies. Only when there's danger, only when there's sickness, or they need things, or difficulties come up, or some crisis, then they will pray. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said about these people. He said, some prayers are like a fire escape, used only in times of critical emergency, never very enjoyable, but used as a way of terrified escape from disaster. They don't represent the regular life of the one who offers them. Rather, they are uncommon acts of the spiritual amateur. But when, a, when, a, when there's a, a, an emergency serious enough, all men will resort to prayer. They will all call out to God to prayer. We see that in Psalm 107, verses 23 through 28. It says, Some went off in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, His impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and sank again to the depths. That's the picture of how big the waves are. The waves get so high. They went up as high as heaven and then they sank to the deepest depth. So it was a terrible storm. And it says the, the sailors cringed in terror. Now these weren't newbies, man. These weren't new guys on the boat. These were, these were seasoned veteran sailors. But they were fearing for their life because they saw the power of God in the ocean. It says they reeled and staggered like drunkards and they were at their wits end. And isn't that when we go to God? We wait until we're at our wits end. But that's why God allows us to get to our wits end. Because at, the, at our wits end, when we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we find the beginning of God. And it says they cried, Lord, help in their time of trouble. But again, prayer is so much more than just asking God for something, even though that's a very valuable part of prayer, if only because it reminds us that we are totally dependent upon God. Prayer is also communion with God. It's communication with God. It's talking with God, not only talking to Him. How's, how do we get to know people? How do we get to know them better? By talking to them. By being around them, by communicating with them. We get to know God in the same way. John MacArthur said, Alone with God, such an opportunity should be the Christian's one great desire. How sad that so many believers spend brief amounts of time with Him or don't go to Him at all because they have so little to say. The highest result of prayer is not being delivered from some evil or getting something that you prayed for, but knowing God. Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understand and knows me. Do you know God in an intimate way this morning? Yes. In prayer, you learn more about God. And that's the greatest discovery your soul can make. Job 23.3, he said, Men still cry out, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. 
If I only knew where to find God, I'd go to his throne. I'd talk with him there. The praying Christian will always find God and God will find them. Remember when Paul had his vision of the Lord, it blinded him. When he was praying in the temple in Jerusalem, he fell into a trance and it says that he saw Jesus. And then Jesus gave him his commission to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But notice, vision always comes before the calling. Vision always comes before the calling and the work. It was the same way with, his, with Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 1, notice it says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his, tro- and his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. Notice, he saw the Lord. Isaiah was in the sanctuary praying when all of this happened. His vision came before the call to go. But you see, we can't get vision unless we pray. Proverbs 29, 18 says, And where there is no vision, the people perish. Prayer is being in the conscious presence of God. And I wonder if David was aware of this when he cried out in Psalm 62, 5, My soul wait patiently for God alone, because my, listen, my expectation is from him. You see, David expected God to answer him. Now, see, if you don't expect God to answer you, you have no hope. Where there is no expectation, there is no hope. But David said, God alone, for my expectation is from him. Do you expect things from God? If not, you have no hope. One reason why I believe a lot of people don't pray sincerely is because we don't really expect anything from God. Again, where there is no expectation, there is no hope. Psalm 62, 5, again, David said, My soul waits silently for alone, for my expectation is from him. Prayer can relieve tensions. It can relieve stress when we're stressed out. Trust God to be your rock, to be your stability, to be your anchor, your salvation, your defense. Prayer will change our whole outlook on life. When we're resting in God's strength, nothing can shake us. Remember when Hannah was praying to God to have a child because she was was barren at the time? The prayers in 1 Samuel 1.18, remember how the prayer started out? She was crying. She was weeping before God. Oh, Lord, please let me have a son and I'll dedicate him to you. And she was making all the promises that, that we make, you know, that, 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 that when, when a lady can't have a child, you know, we make all kinds of, they make promises and we, we pray for our wives and we, we make promises and pray for them. And, and, and so she's weeping, please, God, let me have a son. Listen to the last verse. She said to God, Lord, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. It says, so the woman went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. She started out stressed. Oh, Lord, please, I want a child so bad. But by the time she ended her prayer, it says her face was no longer sad. I think a lot of our prayer is prayer that we haven't looked into this question. What is prayer? It's good to be aware that we're always in the presence of God. The psalmist said, where can I go from your spirit, O Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You see, you can't go anywhere where God is not. The Bible says that the, earth, the world can't contain him. You can never be lost to God. I mean, this is great news for those who know and love God. Because you see, no matter what you do or where you go, we can never be far from God's comforting presence. It's wonderful to look at him and adore him. But it's better to commune with him like a friend. And that's what prayer is. It's communion. Real prayer at its highest and best, shows a soul that's thirsty for God, for God alone. 
It's like when you're really thirsty, totally thirsty. I'm not a water drinker. But when I am really thirsty, that's what I want. I don't want a soda. I don't want anything. I want water. Real prayer is its highest and best when a soul is thirsty for God, but God alone. The psalmist said in Psalm 63, 1 and 2, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David said in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear appear before God? Psalm 84, 2. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Notice, the psalmist wanted God more than anything else in the world. Again, in Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths, the psalmist, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. This is when prayer, prayer is never more acceptable and real to God when we're crying like that from the depths of our heart, from those deepest places of despair and affection. And God knows when our prayers are deep and sincere. Real prayer comes from the lips of those whose affections are set on things above and not the things of the earth. And you know what? We should seek the, gi- the, the, the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. Prayer pleases God. And prayer supplies all of our needs from his riches and glory. But wouldn't it seem weird to only want to be in, you know, in in the father's presence when we wanted something? It's like, think of it yourself, your your children, you know, for instance. If the only time they wanted to come and be around you is because they wanted something. And then when they got it, they went off and did their own thing. And then you didn't see them again until they came in and wanted something. You probably all experienced that some one time or another. <laughs> oh, the only time you want to come and see is you want something. Well, I think God says the same thing. I haven't seen you for a few days. I haven't seen you for a week, but there, here you are, Lord. I need this. I want that. And don't we all want to get to a higher place with God in our prayer life than just asking for things? Luke eleven one. It says, "Now it came to pass." as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. They asked, Lord, teach us to pray. They, ha- they must have seen something in Christ when he was praying that just blew them away. I think, Lord, what, I, I'd have said, Lord, teach me how to raise the dead. Teach me how to, you know, cast out demons, something spectacular. So people, oh, look at how spirit, look how, oh, look at him. But now, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. And how do we get to that higher level of prayer? Well, we need to recognize God's glory. We need to recognize God's grace. We need to be reminded who we're praying to. How much time do you spend thinking about God's glory, His amazing glory, His infinite glory? Just thinking about how glorious He is and His wonderful works, and also God's infinite grace. You know, I don't know if there's a human alive that, that really understands the real meaning of the grace of God. What all God's grace involves. How many times are our prayers powerless and, and ineffective just because we rush into prayer without thinking? And unprepared to go into the presence of God. Not thinking about his majesty, his holiness, his glory. Not thinking about the exceeding great riches of his glory in Christ. Which we're hoping to draw draw from. Moses asked God, please show me your glory. 
And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to you. I'm sorry. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. His glory was so great, nobody could see it and live. That being the case, before we start reading off our long list of requests to God, we should first meditate upon His glory and then His grace because He gives us both and we need both every single day. Our prayer often sounds like a, more like a shopping list. Sometimes in a list or a time of praise and adoration and thanksgiving. Let's praise Him. Let's honor Him. Let's worship Him. And that's how Jesus taught us, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount on His, on his model prayer? Pray like this, He said, our Father who is in heaven. That's how we were to start it off. Praise our Father who is, art in, he- who's, who, who is in heaven. Hallowed be Your name. Holy is Your name. Instead of, hey, Lord, I need this. Oh, and I need this. And by the way, I need this. Instead of coming into his presence, said, My Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Glory and honor to you, Lord. We need to do that. Praise him and honor him as Jesus instructed us. Worship him because of his exceeding glory. Consecration isn't enough, there has to be adoration as well. And too many times we just enter into God's presence without, like Moses, taking off our shoes. Recognizing. We're entering in and standing on holy ground. When Moses prayed, please show me your glory, he not only saw some of his glory, but he got to share in some of it as well. His own face began to shine with the light of God's glory. Wouldn't it be great to hear other people say what Peter said about the disciples? Oh, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. Don't you think that would be an answer to most of our prayers? For the glory of God to shine upon us. But how do we get this glory? How are we supposed to show this glory? It only comes as a result of prayer. It's when we pray that the Holy Spirit takes the things of God and then shows them to us. Jesus said in John 16, 15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And just like with Moses, when we look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we will see more than just a little glimpse, a little, than, than more than a little peek at his glory. We will get some of it for ourselves. And that would be prayer at its best. There's no way of experiencing that glory. No other way of experiencing that glory so that God might be glorified in us. So we need to meditate on the glory of Christ. Let's let's, let's meditate on the glory of Christ. Let's look upon it. Let's reflect it. And, and, you know, let's, let's receive it. This is what happened to the first disciples of Christ. They said in John 1, 14, in awe we beheld his glory. And then look what happened after they saw Christ's glory. They turned the world upside right with the gospel after they saw his glory. A few ordinary, uneducated fishermen associated with Jesus for a little while, seen his glory, got some of that glory themselves. And then others said of them, man, they had been with Jesus. And when we can say like John, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, they will say the same thing about you. Oh, they have been with Jesus. And as we lift up our hearts in prayer to the glorious, gracious, living God, then we gain the the beauty of holiness, just like a flower when it just sits in the sun. That's That's when they bloom, because they're living in the sunlight. So they need to bloom. That's what they need to live. 
Didn't Jesus' countenance change like Moses when he prayed? Yes, Matthew 17, 2 says, His face shone like the sun. The disciples went many times with Jesus when he went away for times of intense fellowship with his heavenly Father. And we will change too when we have this kind of prayer in our lives. And you know what? People will see it in our lives. They will see it in our faces and it will be an outward display of an inward grace. So may we start looking at the grace of God. What is prayer? It's a sign of spiritual life. Remember when Jesus spoke to a disciple named Ananias in a vision after Saul, after Saul got saved? Ananias said in that vision, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord told Ananias, Ananias, arise and go to a street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Prior to this, Saul was out gathering up Christians and, re- and, and, and arresting them, having them put in jail, and having them killed. Look at him now. After he saw the Lord, he's praying. You see, prayer is a sign of spirituality. Prayer is the spontaneous response of the believing heart of God. Those who are truly transformed by Jesus Christ will find themselves lost in the amazement and the excitement of communion with Him. Remember when you first got saved? I do. Man, I got into the Bible and I wanted to read and I wanted to find out about God and I, you know... It was amazing. It's still amazing. To have A real living relationship with the Almighty God. It's unexplainable. We will change like the disciples when we have this kind of prayer in our lives. And like I said, people will see it. Our value to God and our value to man is is an exact proportion to which we show the glory of God to others from our lives. Paul was found praying after he saw, after he experienced God. It's, It's a sign of conversion. I want to read. I want to study. I want to go to church. I want to speak to the living God. I want him to speak to me. I want the things that God has for me. It is the immediate response of the believing heart of God. And it happens in an instant. Now it takes a lifetime to make a saint, but the, 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 the knowing Christ, born again, comes in that instant you recognize him. I went into the church that day with drugs in my pocket. The minute I said the sinner's prayer, I said the first thing I need to do is get rid of these drugs in my pocket. I felt such a conviction. I felt such a need to get rid of these things. I walked in there, no problem. I had no problem walking into the church with a pocket full of dope. But after I said, Lord, a whole different story. Those who are truly transformed find themselves lost in the amazement and the excitement and the communion with Him. Prayer is as natural for the Christian as breathing is to the lungs. Paul became a man who prayed without ceasing. 
One man said, I should soon as expect life in a dead man as spiritual life in a prayerless soul. Spurgeon said, prayerless souls are Christless souls, for you can have no real fellowship with Christ, no communion with the Father, unless you approach his mercy seat and be often there. William William Evans, the author of Why Pray, said this, to the Christian, prayerlessness isn't just a shortcoming, it's a sin. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. James 4, 17. God forbid that I should sin by not praying for you. 1 Samuel 12, 23. You see, our spirituality and our fruitfulness are always in proportion to the sincerity of our prayers. So if we've wandered even the slightest bit away from home when it comes to prayer. We need to change that this morning. Let's make up our mind this morning to ask the Father to forgive us for not praying or for not taking it serious and admit, you know, it's time to get a new, fresh vision of God in all of His glory. And you won't believe the things that will happen when the church sees God like Moses did. His face will shine upon ours and we will reflect his glory to others. Prayer is a barometer of our Christian faith. You know, a barometer, is, a barometer informs, informs us of, of the condition of the weather at any time. It tells us how hot or how cold it is. Prayer reveals to us how hot or cold our spiritual condition is. The place that prayer has in our life, it shows how much faith And the reality of our faith in God. The less we pray, the less we believe in God. The less we depend upon God, the more we depend upon our flesh. And we are to crucify the flesh. Each one of us needs to get the vision of God like Jesus did. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And we can't ever forget that the greatest thing we do for God or for man is to pray. Because we can do a lot more by our prayers than by our own wisdom, our own strength, and our own work. In closing, prayer is all-powerful. It can do anything God can do. When we pray, God works. All fruitfulness in our service is the outcome of prayer, of the workers' prayers, or of those who are holding up our hands on His behalf. Listen to Exodus 17, 8 through 11. This is, a, this is a beautiful picture of what it means for us to hold up each other's arms in prayer. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek, Israel's enemies, attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Ur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. Notice, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Ur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. As long as Moses could hold up his arms to the Lord in prayer, the Israelites would, be, would win the Amaleks. They were beating the Amaleks. But as soon as Moses' arms went down, the Amaleks began to prevail over Israel. We all know to pray. But many of us need to cry out like the disciples did. Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer can be taught. It can be studied. It can be agreed upon. It doesn't need to be proved. It needs to be practiced. So here's our challenge, church. Prayer is our highest privilege. Our gravest responsibility. The noblest, the sublimest, the most stupendous act that any creature of God can perform. So the man who said this said, let's enter into the joy of prayer. And then notice the, the, the quote in the bulletin. I love this. I'll finish with that. It says, you can do more than pray. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until after you have prayed. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for prayer, God. Father, thank you that... You have given it to us as a resource, Father. 
a resource to get victory over our stresses and strains, God. Father, to receive the things that we lack. But Father, may we seek the most important things, and that is spirituality, God. Lord, help us to be men and women of prayer, God. Lord, give us strength over our trials. Give us strength to resist temptation, God. Give us strength to do great and mighty works for the kingdom of God, Father. Give us the ability to be fruitful in our ministries, Father, and victorious in our homes and our families, God. Lord, help us to be strong as a body of Christ, Lord. Help us to be all that you have called us to be, God. And Father, Jesus is our model. He's our pattern. And Father, help us to be all that you have called us to be, Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you've just, you haven't been able to get over sin. You haven't been able to break habits that are destroying you and your family, maybe your life. Habits and sins that have brought you to a dead end. Maybe you have been praying and haven't received any answer or any power or any ability to get over these things? Well, the reason might be if if you're not born again, your prayers aren't heard by God. The psalmist said, if I regard or if I have iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. The one prayer that God wants to hear from you right now is, God, I am a sinner, and I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And once you do that, once he becomes your Lord and your master and your savior. He said, all that the father has are you, it has is mine and I give it to you. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And as they do, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and savior, the most important need you have right now is salvation. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.